Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to another episode of the Ahmed Khan podcast. We hope you guys have been enjoying these recent podcasts. And if there's any guests or any feedback that you have, please feel free to message us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or even leave a comment behind in the comment section below. Today, we have Brother Tamim joining us um, on a very interesting topic, which, uh, which I think uh, many of us in our contemporary age will find quite interesting, which is the topic of transhumanism. Um, but just a little bit about Brother Tamim. He holds a bachelor's and a master's in psychology from Queen's University, and he has a master's degree in Islamic thought and applied ethics uh, from Qatar. And uh, he has amassed another master's in behavioral psychology. And now he's doing his PhD at Oxford, looking at the relationship between psychology and theology. Tamim has published an article on Yaqeen Institute titled Immortality on Earth, Humanism Through an Islamic Lens, which I found highly beneficial when I read a couple of years ago. And if anybody's more interested in this and the topic of transhumanism after listening to this discussion, I'd highly recommend going on Yaqeen and, and reading that article. Um, so with that being said, thank you so much for joining us, bro. Wa alaikum assalam jazakallah khair for that warm introduction and for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And inshallah, we have a fruitful discussion. Inshallah. So I think let's just get straight into it. Uh, there's a lot of discussion today. There's a lot of interest on this topic of transhumanism. Um, AI seems to be a different topic, uh, but there are some similarities between the two. But transhumanism is an interesting thing because as we're seeing technology progress more and more day by day, year by year, we're hearing all these crazy ideas about, you know, the manipulation of the human body, things which, you know, just we thought only existed in movies. But, you know, in today's age, it looks like we're creating our own Iron Man. Um, but like the first question I just wanted to ask you is, can you just give like a brief introduction into what transhumanism is and uh, you know what exactly is the purpose behind this belief? Sure. And I think it's very interesting that you mentioned the word belief there because we're gonna, I'm sure we'll get to this stage of talking about transhumanism as a religious ideology, but that's something that we'll discuss, I'm sure. Um, in terms of just transhumanism, what it is. So of course it would depend on who you ask, but I, I guess from my reading of the situation or, or what transhumanism is, it's essentially using technology and science to improve human beings and human capabilities. So I guess what's critical here is that we're talking about improvements. We're not talking about healing an illness or fixing something that we perceive to be wrong. Although some branches of transhumanism go into that, i.e. so if we think of nanotechnology, which is essentially micro, for example, putting a micro sensor into our bloodstream, that's a form, I guess, of transhumanism, specifically application of nanotechnology. But I think the main differentiation between a medical intervention and a transhumanist intervention is transhumanism is concerned with improving something. It's not concerned with essentially healing in the way that, you know, medicine traditionally is. And how is, I guess, some of the, some of the ways that transhumanism is, is being applied now or on the verge of being applied. So I guess one of them is psychopharmacological interventions. So I, I the, 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 I guess they call it a, drug essentially modafinil which is which improves concentration and apparently can improve cognitive faculties some people claim that there's been quite a lot there was quite a lot of buzz around it a few years ago so that's one example of uh using 
uh, you know, a, a scientific development to improve faculty. Of course, there's there's a lot of discussion about the, the benefits or the harms of that. Uh, so that's psychopharmacological. I mentioned nanotechnology. I think the main concern when a lot of people talk about transhumanism, not, not just concern, let's, I guess, to be neutral, concern and interest is related to genetic intervention. So coming in yeah. at the, coming to the human being and improving the human being at a genetic level. And I certainly, I think, from an Islamic perspective, that's probably the one that I see that's most worth tackling uh, and most worth our energy. Um, but I, I hope that's something, that's a, a brief introduction that's that's useful in terms of the applied. We can go into the, I guess, the origins of the movement and where it comes from and where it is today. I'm not sure if that's something that you want to talk about now. Um, we will, we will. But I just want to just quickly, you know, talk about this topic of uh, microchips within the human brain. Um, because it seems that's one of the goals of the transhumanist movement is this idea of putting this chip into one's mind and being able to like, you know, put the Quran onto a chip and then all of a sudden you download it in your mind um, and, you know, you become a hafiz. But it's interesting because you hear some people say that the elite already have these technologies. They're already using these sciences. And, um, you know, you know, what are your thoughts on, on, on the chip? Because it's something I'm, I don't know about others, but I'm quite fascinated about. Yeah, you know, I'm not. I've, of course, of course, I've seen a reference this idea of you know a chip being planted into our brains and being used to improve our cognitive faculties. I think in terms of nanotechnology at the minute, it's more. There's more discussion on chips going into, for example, our bloodstream or some kind of sensory devices going into bloodstreams. I think there is a famous example in Sweden, if I'm not wrong, it's in Scandinavia where an employer has has, has essentially uh, uh, put in a chip into people's hands as for the clock in and clock out device. So that's something, I guess, a low level, you know, transhumanist intervention. What you're talking about, I guess, in terms of a chip going into the brain, I don't think we're there yet. But I'm trying to think, is there, I don't know if I, I to be honest, I don't know if that's being used yet in any faculty. Okay. Um, I would also say, so what I've read, what I've seen more interest in is the idea of downloading consciousness. Of course, we're nowhere near that there. But yeah. I mean, you mentioned the example of putting something into our brain. The, the scope or the horizon of this is so vast that there's also discussions about download, down, downloading our brains onto an external device and what the implications of that <laughs> might be. But yeah, that's a huge, I guess, ethical and philosophical um, minefield. Yeah, you know, and some people talk about the idea of, uh, of freezing one's brain and then ultimately being able to transfer it to another body. But um, I'll tell you something interesting. Uh, back when I was doing my first degree, um, I had we always had these Christian missionaries come to us um, and as president of the MSA, they kind of had this philosophy that, you know, if they converted me, they would convert the whole <laughs> uh, MSA. So, you know, they sent their questions to me. And, um, you know, at the end of our discussion, um, the Christian, he told me, he said, look, I'm going to give you one piece of advice that I want you to stick. I want you to stick with you for the rest of your life. And I'm like, what is it? He said, at the end of times in Christian theology, we believe that the beast will come. And, uh, and and the beast will offer you, um, I forgot the exact terminology, but he'll offer you something in your hand, which he was like akin to a chip. And he said, whatever you do, refuse that chip. <laughs> and now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like drawing the link between, you know, this idea of transhumanism and, uh, and the beast in Christian theology where, um, you know, these chips are, you know, it's a reality. You know, people like Elon Musk have been talking about it as well. 
I think I, I think the big thing with uh, with this with, with this entire uh, topic, bro, is it's not really a question of if, but rather a question of when. Yeah, it can it can it can feel like that for sure. It's interesting you mentioned. Well, first of all, I said Alhamdulillah that they didn't manage to convert you. We would have lost one of our uh, valuable brothers, valuable members of the community. But um, yeah, I remember I spent some time in Catholic school, and one of my English teachers there talked about watching a documentary where. The number of the beast uh, is, you know, of course, they think it's 666. And then the, 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 the documentary is making the connection between barcodes and some kind of barcode and chip. Uh, yeah, I think that's something that's very much on one level. You hear people like Elon Musk talking about uh, implanting or, or moving towards that. And then maybe on another level, we're very wary of that um, as, as a community. And to be honest, though, when I look at the transhumanist discussion, I think it's a blessing that we have a caution about us when it comes to these kind of developments. And I think that my, my own reading of the situation is that this is rooted in, a, in one of the significant divergences between an Islamic approach and the secular approach, or a maybe even going further, an atheistic approach. You know, the atheistic approach, maybe we can source that back to the Enlightenment and the, uh, uh, what the Enlightenment brought. And this is the idea that we're kind of moving towards something better. Whereas in Islam, I mean, of course, we, we, we recognize positive developments, but we also are cautious and, and, and mindful of negative developments. And we also consider that the ideal time was the time of the Prophet wasallam, And that rooting there, I think, allows naturally inclines us to be cautious about about you know developments like putting in a chip in our in our hands or in our brains or what that might mean i think maybe what's happening so rapidly is just how quickly the discussion now is moving forward and we're living i i, I guess at a time when the horizon is shifting so quickly and technology is advancing at such a speed and of course there's the famous quote by arthur c clark about technology and magic and you know technology I, I can't remember the quote exactly but i think the, he said the uh, I, I have it here he said advanced technology he said advanced technology reaches a level where it becomes indistinguishable from magic yeah and that's 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 an age i guess we're living in i mean i i don't know about you i don't know about you but i i was i guess uh mobile phones were first used when i was you know in the in the, my early teens and the mobile phones that we're using there compared to what we're using today is just the the, the change is 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 radical just a, another quote that's worth considering is that of uh, Jay Haldane, where he talks also about technological interventions originally being seen as blasphemous. And these mm -hmm. new ideas as being seen as blasphemous initially, and then they're eventually accepted. And that's also something that we might see with transhumanism, where it becomes more and more accepted. But certainly, I think that the resistance from Muslims is probably going to be the most prominent for, for reasons maybe we can get into a little bit later. Yeah, you know, this is a topic like I really want to jump in forward right now, but I know we have to get the history in. So um, if you can just give a brief history about, you know, the transhumanist ideology, where it began from and where we're at now, I think that'd be a good starting point. Sure. So the term itself comes from Julian Huxley, who is the brother of Aldous Huxley, who was the author of Brave New World. So we can talk about Brave New World in this context as well, but I don't want to diverge too much. Uh, Julian Huxley, I believe he was a biologist, um, but just to kind of flag, put, put a lot of, you know, highlight the nature, the, the benefit of being cautious here. So Julian Huxley, he coined the term um, transhumanism when he was talking about human beings being able to transcend ourselves 
I guess the, the name of the original publication is also very revealing. It was called Religion Without Revelation. So this is wow. again showing the idea that it's be, this is this goes beyond just being. I, I, I guess we sometimes, you know, um, champions of science deem it as being neutral or deeming it as being as being you know secular or removed from grand ideologies. But there's a strong claim to be made. Again, we'll maybe get into it later about how transhumanism is is maybe in effect a religious movement. Anyway, uh, Julian Huxley he coined the term, and he was also a eugenicist, and he was somebody who believed in social Darwinism, i.e., that different groups of people uh, are at different stages of evolution, and essentially they're at their superior, you know, ethnic groups. He also coined the term apparently ethnic. Uh, so he he didn't like the the idea of race, and he thought we should look at people as as being parts of ethnic ethnic groups anyway the key point here is he's somebody who was for eugenics and for the idea that different ethnic groups are are different levels of the hierarchy and if we think about what transhumanism might bring and the relationship between that kind of ideology like eugenicism and that the kind of technology that can be unleashed with transhumanism it's quite scary anyway so he was a thinker um uh and since him, there, there's been a, a building transhumanist movement. I would say one of the main thinkers within the transhumanist movement today is a philosopher in Oxford called, he's based in Oxford University called Nick Bostrom. And so he's he's very much at the forefront of the movement and he's putting forward the case of what transhumanism can do and what it can offer for human beings. But so Julian Huxley was, a, I guess he, he was around maybe 90 years ago. Nick Bostrom is today. I think really, though, if we look at the roots of the transhumanist movement, it goes back to the Enlightenment. Like a lot of the significant ideas that we're dealing with today, certainly in the Western world, a lot of them have their roots in the Enlightenment. And the idea of reason and science being the, 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 the main way that human beings should navigate the world that they live in at the expense, I guess, of what was the, you know, the, 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 the Western church at the time. And this idea places science as being also man's or human being's salvation so once you're at the once you've accepted the idea that oh, okay. revelation isn't so important we have science and we have reason and we can use those to navigate i think transhumanism or the idea of transhumanism becomes a natural conclusion to that kind of ideology and certainly then if we look at darwin's evolution theory where it places evolution i i think we could have a long discussion about you know yeah. the, the the Islamic frame and where evolution might fit, but certainly one of the one of the key ideas that we completely disagree with is that human beings evolved randomly. But they would place mm -hmm. they you know Darwin of course believed that human you know I don't know what extent he he, he removed you know astaghfirullah uh, God's agency from it, but I know that there's the idea that human beings evolved randomly, and this ties right in with Nick Bostrom's idea that human beings are a half baked creature. We were half baked okay. in our evolution and in our creation. So that again highlights one of the key uh, conflicts between the transhumanist movement and the Islamic uh, Islamic frame of seeing the human being. Of course, uh, the Quran says, bani Adam." There's a lot of you know um, honor placed on the on, on the human being um, that is very. It, it doesn't really find a place in the idea of the human being being half baked. Anyway, if we connect this idea of evolution and us being at a certain stage in our evolution. And the, the, the state that we're in now is, you know, random and it isn't fully completed and there's a lot of flaws in it. 
you know, as seen in this idea of us being a half-baked creation, then the idea that we can improve ourselves, we can improve the very nature of humanity, we can improve the nature of our bodies and our minds, it kind of, it, it, it all marries together pretty well. So I think that's some of the key ideas mm -hmm. and some of the key thinkers that have contributed to transhumanism and that explain where it is, you know, where it is now. You know, you know, it's interesting. I remember reading your paper and you talked about how, uh, like you're saying right now, that the foundations behind the transhumanist movement largely is this belief of Darwinian evolution. The fact that the human being, you know, began as, you know, whether it was some chemicals and then evolved into an apes, monkeys, and now it evolved to the age of humans. And now we want to evolve into what you called post-humanism, which was into the realm of robots and something moving away from humanity. And I think, you know, like, like the, the, the main question to ask ourselves is, is transhumanism really a threat to our humanity? And if I think, the, I think if the overarching goal is to remove, you know, to, to change human nature, so now we become robots, or we become this other species, then I think without a doubt, we can say that transhumanism is the death of humanity or seeks to acquire the death of humanity into, a, into another creature. Absolutely. I think the idea of the death of humanity is really important because one of the key discussions that goes on between the transhumanists and the anti-transhumanists, who many of them, by the way, are not Muslims. They'll be, you know, there's famous thinkers. I'll, I'll maybe talk about their ideas a little bit later who argue against the, you know, you know, the, the movement, the transhumanist movement. One of the key differ differences is transhumanists. A lot of them believe that there isn't something called a human nature. And this is a key idea then that they don't believe that there's an essence of a human being. So it's something that they can willy nilly change and, you know, play with because there isn't, there isn't this, this thing called human nature, Never mind this idea of human dignity. Whereas thinkers, so one of them is Francis Fukuyama famous for, you know, his thesis on the death of death mm -hmm. of history. Is it? I think it's a death of history, but yeah, he, he's one of the people who says that, we shouldn't engage in transhumanism because there is something called a human dignity and a human nature, a human essence. And we we're not in a position to get involved in changing that. Another one of the, the thinkers who challenges them is, uh, uh, his name is uh, Jürgen Habermas from the Frankfurt School of Philosophy. He's one of the most famous, I guess, philosophers alive today. And he wrote a book on the future of human nature where he challenges uh, transhumanist ideas and one of the reasons he challenges them is that we're not intelligent enough we're not aware enough of the consequences of this to jump into it and mm -hmm. i think it's worth looking at something like genetically modified foods where the technology became available and people have, people are now getting into it even though from my you know brief research on the topic it's still the jury is still out about whether there's harms to this or not on on different levels so i guess the paper mentions adh there's been reports of adhd mm -hmm. and uh i guess different ca different cancers as well at risk of different cancers of course what it's going to do to our ecosystem as well it's this we still don't know and this is this is playing with you know fruits and vegetables and we're still we're engaging in it with with seemingly not a lot of caution and uh, what happens then once we open the door to actually changing something as fundamental as our genetic makeup? Um, so that's, I, I guess, that's one of the, that's another one of the, the the arguments against it that that Habermas makes. Habermas makes a lot of a lot of other points as well that are worth 
thinking about that are relevant for i guess he wouldn't he, he certainly wouldn't call himself a muslim thinker but his ideas fall in line with i guess what some of the okay. arguments against this might be from a muslim perspective okay that's interesting that's interesting and it's like it goes back to this to topic of you know gene therapy that we discussed about earlier and you know the idea of replacing faulty genes with healthier ones and you know creating what you know what you called in your paper designer babies so yeah. for example you know you could you can you know remove all the faulty genes and now you produce this baby who's now going to be six foot five who's going to be you know who's going to be have a muscular tendency you know you can choose whether it's male or female you can choose the skin color of the baby it's almost like you're designing it and to me it's like you know there's nothing wrong with using that technology maybe to remove defects you know as if you know that the baby you know if it, you know that with nanotechnology you could remove certain defects so the baby doesn't come out you know, handicap or or with some deficiency, but there's also you know another level of playing God, right? Of determining you know you know trying to be the creator, which I think many of many people are. So you know it's you know you can kind of pick what type of child you want, and I think um, I think I think you know I don't want to throw the baby with the bathwater. I don't want to say that you know all of this is bad because I think there's a lot of good that we can acquire through uh, technologies like these. But at the same time, you also realize that, you know, if you study history, human beings, you know, if, if you leave it, if you leave things to their hands with the possibility of being able to bring corruption on the planet, then most of them may not take it, but a minority will. And as long as that minority take it, you know, there will be, you know, there will be wrongdoing on the planet. And one of the things you mentioned in your paper is one of the arguments supporting transhumanism is that it would remove inequality on the planet. And you responded in the paper, I believe, and you said most likely these technologies will only be in the hands of the rich, of the powerful, and in the elite, in which they would use for their own benefit. And the lower class people really wouldn't have access to this. So it would only increase the disparity between the two groups. So, um, yeah, I don't know about you, but... I feel like there is a lot of good that can come out of this, but like we have to be very, very careful because we can also end up on the other uh, on the other path. Absolutely, yeah. There's quite a few points there I think that are worth maybe discussing. Um, you, I completely agree that you know, well, I would agree because you're talking about my the paper and the point that I made in the paper, but just this idea that we're going to eradicate. So, you know, Bostrom talks about transhumanism increasing equality, and like you're saying it seems very i'm very skeptical of the idea that we need a technological intervention or we need a development in technology to increase equality i think if we're if we're thinking on that level we're really not diagnosing the problem of inequality properly so yeah so i guess um the idea that we need a technological intervention to reduce inequality or to eradicate inequality seems com a complete misdiagnosis of why there's inequality and so that's one aspect of it. Another aspect then, like you mentioned, is the idea that technology tends to, in some cases, multiply inequalities. Um, I think you could, you could make a case that, you know, that, that that's something that essentially that's happening now in, in the world and that certain technologies are, are making life easier for some groups of people and they're simply not accessible for others. I think another important point is just to go a bit further about what some of the transhumanists claim, they claim that transhumanism can bring about an end to cheating and an end to lying and these very moral 
behaviors and thoughts that are part, I think, from my understanding of psychology, these are part, of, part and parcel of free will. So the idea that transhumanism is going to eradicate these, you know, immoral behaviors, I mean, that's that rings alarm bells in my head about what, you know, the, the, the actual application of that might be. How do you eradicate uh, lying, cheating without infringing on free will? Uh, so I think that that's something that's mm -hmm. really worth considering, especially as, as Muslims who believe that we were given our free will for a specific purpose. Um, we can get we can get in the, we can go down to also problems about autonomy and, and, and things like that. But maybe we'll find room for that a little bit later. Um, I think as well, I'm trying to remember the points. There was a point you made at the beginning um, of your last reply, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah, it's <laughs> I, I talk too much sometimes. No, I don't, I'm not making um, notes. That's the problem, man. Um, but you know, you, in your paper, you do bring up this excellent topic of free will, um, and you mentioned that what happens if we use these technologies to remove our desires, such as our desire for lust, our desire for pride and envy, because the human package that we've been given is we've been given determinism, but we've also been given free will. And the free will is how God tests us and sees, you know, whether we, whether we are good or whether we are wrong. But if we use these technologies to simply cheat, you know, as a cheat code to remove these desires, what kind of ethical questions does that entail? And how problematic can that be now that the human being has no control over their own desires? And for me, the scary thing is, bro, is like, you know, if they put a chip in my head, for example, and with this chip... I had access to all of these books that have been implanted in my mind. The thing that lingers in my mind, uh, pun intended, <laughs> is do they have access to, you know, are they able to control the chip that's in my mind? And if so, yeah. are they able to create kind of like these armies, these soldiers? Um, because that's something that's, that weighs heavily on my mind. If I ever think, obviously, I would never put a chip in my mind, but is that can they also control me with that chip? And I think that's a question, you know, because it seems like we're getting closer and closer to the stage where they're going to start implanting these is, you know, would they be would they be able to, you know, manipulate me and control me through access of the chip? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, that's not something that I'm really well read on, but I'm sure when we're thinking about ending certain behaviors, it's it's essentially controlling for them then. And I think one of the beauties about Islam is the idea of jihad al-nafs and improving yourself through struggle. And even if we step outside of the Islamic realm, mm -hmm. Islamic frame, and look at it from a psychological perspective, a psychologist would tell you that challenges in life are part of what, where growth comes from. And there's a beauty in the struggle. And there's, a, you, you know, there's, a, there's something to be learned from these kind of challenges and facing down whatever it is that's, that's kind of plaguing you or giving you cause for concern. The idea of a genetic intervention to bypass that doesn't seem like a very human, uh, human thing to do. Let alone an Islamic, an Islamic way of doing this. I think there's a there's a, probably a huge discussion to be had about you know how a Muslim society should in, encourage the good and you know discourage the bad. But I don't know of anyone seriously making the case that. If we can do it, if we can do this on a genetic level, of that in a way that infringes yeah. on free will, that they would make the case for that. Um, in terms of it being used 
against the population maliciously, I think it's worth again considering what, for example, China is doing to um, its citizens in terms of social control, in terms of social profiling, yeah. in terms of social. We could even talk about they're they're essentially colonize, colonizing their their population, let alone the Uyghurs. So that's a, that's a, that's also a horrific um, example of how technology is being used um, to uh, oppress people. But even if we look at China's, you know, main population, they're not, not their Uyghur minority, the way it's using, like I, like, you know, I guess, I guess I just mentioned the so social profiling and these kind of ideas. So we're seeing their state, a powerful state, a state, I guess the term would be using its biopower to, to control citizens. So I would, I would think it's worth considering this idea that, a transhumanist intervention at a genetic level or at a nanotechnological level might be concerning for people, proponents or supporters of free will. Um, but I think generally in the Western world, what we see more is strong nudges rather than, you know, blunt force control coming in that way. Uh, if that's something that's on the uh, on the horizon, Allahu alam, you know. But my 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 own kind of concerns about this are more related to how autonomy is going to be infringed upon you know what the justice what the, what the implications of justice might be for transhumanism inequality and then violations of i guess islamic ideas about humility and and, and there's a there's a lot of different ways we can get at this, yeah. this from an islamic perspective and, and be concerned and i think humility is is worth one considering as well yeah and you know they might <laughs> With uh, with transhumanism, and if they if they put this chip in you, or with even gene therapy, you know they can just put humility into you as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the, you, what was it? I think I remembered one of the points I wanted to make. You mentioned a gene therapy. So one of the th one of the scary things again, just to reinforce this idea that we still don't really know what we're doing, and we're still going ahead. There was a there was an article reported on about three years ago where a part of a gene that they had previously considered was a filler i.e. had a no purpose, actually is related to our circadian cycle, the, the sleep cycle. So that's yeah. just one example of we're kind of stumbling around here clumsily playing with the very fabric of our being. And we're mm -hmm. still so early in understanding it. It's quite scary that we're already talking about genetic interventions. Now, I, I guess another point you mentioned about you, you're, you're more comfortable with the idea of, of gene, gene therapy to fix people. And I think that the case can be made that if there's a serious disease, yes, we, we you know, it's pressing. We need to be going in there and trying to figure out what to do. But again, I want to bring it back to the transhumanist idea of improving. It's not looking mm -hmm. at, you know, so, you yeah. know, curing cancer. It's not looking at uh, in, improving, you know, uh, health outcomes. It's looking at improving the human being letting them run faster think longer you know live longer um so the the payoff there seems quite uh it's it's quite different i think um, yeah and you know you, you know it's interesting because i was reading last night on um transhumanism and uh, the new technologies the pentagon is creating and it's actually insane looking at what they're trying to do for example they're trying to create underwater soldiers um, there's, there's some talks of even, you know, implanting gills within human beings or creating these type of technologies that would allow them, um, that, that would allow them to go underwater. There's new technologies creating as well, where the, the human being, the soldiers, it's, it's this sort of ankle bracelet 
that the human being can start uh, running at an incredibly fast pace, can start jumping seven feet forward and running in a way that no muscle in the body is being used. Wow. And to me, it's like, so when I mentioned early on about Iron Man, it's like they're actually trying to create Ca Iron Man and Captain America. They see there's been enough Marvel movies produced that they thought to themselves, let's actually try creating something like this. <laughs> and, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that you raise another important concern there is about what's this, what, what might the technology be used for? Let's forget about the moral, the, the Islamic, yeah. mor you know, the Islamic uh, caution about it. It, it'll eventually be used, I guess, like you know, nuclear physics was used, I guess, for devastating consequences. A lot of tech, new technologies then eventually go into warfare and weapons and getting an advantage on the enemy. And I think, again, as Muslims, there is a concern there. Yeah, the example of Gills, I heard that through <laughs> Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad's lecture on. So he's one of the few Islamic references on this. I advise your, if, if any yeah. of your viewers are yeah. interested in learning more to check out his, there's this, I think it's a 20 minute video where he talks about transhumanism. Yeah, and it's that's about one 20 of minutes. The, that's one of the yeah. things that he mentions is that somebody who works, I can't remember, was it? I don't know which intelligence agency it works for, but essentially a, a Muslim scientist approached him with that concern. And what, you know, I guess one of the, 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 the again, the red flag of that is that they're already working on it. And just waiting. I think he makes the point that they're waiting for the law then to be changed. But there's all these preparations already being made. Uh, subhanallah. And, you know, it's, uh, uh, yeah, you know, and, and the thing about laws is for, for many of them, they're, they're trying to have many of these laws changed so that it could suit them. And to me, the, the big thing always is, is when information like this is out, um, it wasn't brought out in the moment that the idea was created. The idea was created long ago. The mm. movement started a while ago. These things are just under wraps. It's just only when they want to start publicizing it, that's when you start figuring it out. So the real question is, is how long have they been working on these technologies? And like you mentioned, what is the purpose behind it? And uh, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf uh, always talks about how during the Enlightenment movement, um, many of these great thinkers, people like Francis Bacon, were heavily involved with magic. And they were reading all of these magical books, people like Jack Parsons. You know, I did a podcast titled um, Dajjal and Satanism, the story of Jack Parsons. So um, mm. our viewers know the relationship between magic and science. So, um, you know, it, it brings me to this interesting point, bro, that you mentioned in your paper, which is one of the central themes, which is immortality and how... The, the, the end goal really is for people to become immortal, to turn themselves into ilas. And the thing I find so fascinating is this topic is referenced throughout the Quran. So in your paper, you mentioned the story of Fir'aun and how Fir'aun said that he, you know, he, that he was God on earth. And the beautiful story of Adam salam and the story of, you know, well, I don't, well and, and Iblis in the garden is that Iblis promised him immortality if he ate from the tree. And to me, it's like since the beginning of human history, you see a fascination for immortality. From the story of Adam, السلام, you have other texts. You have ancient texts like the Epic of Gilgamesh, which reference immortality as well. But the thing that I find most fascinating, bro, about, uh, about the topic of immortality is that historically, immortality was sought after through the means of magic, not the means of rationality. But today we're using the means of science and rationality to acquire immortality. And the realization that I had 
is is today's science not all is today's science not also a form of magic going back to you know arthur c clark's principle that you know uh, science reach reaches a point it becomes indistinguishable from magic so you know i think we're still living in an age of magic it's just we've kind of not saying all science is magic but it's just being used in a different manner but still being used to seek out the same thing which is immortality and i believe you can correct me on this but i believe i'm not i'm not sure but i think that jaw also comes and he promises immortality maybe or something something of that stature i think so yeah you know one of the ideas that i've heard from sheikh hamza yusuf is that the devil never he uses the same tricks essentially and it's always it's, it's the same themes but they're maybe dressed up differently i think he made it in the context of burning man but um this idea of immortality and seeking immortality like you say we have it in the adamic narrative and we have it at other stages in our i guess in in our history and now it's 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 tempting and you know just as you were talking i kind of felt like on a psychological level what's driving that and i think it's a rebellion against god this idea that we're gonna mm. what what is living what does living forever mean it means never you know astaghfirullah means never facing allah for judgment this idea that we're always going to live in this realm uh, and maybe that's one of the, the the key drivers of that. I think the idea, you know, that that is one of the one of the points that's made about transhumanists, and I, I referenced it a little bit earlier, is that it's not. So they would probably term themselves as secular and a religious, but actually, when you look at a lot of their ideas, this is, these are not my ideas. These are the ideas of non-Muslim scholars who are writing about this. They're talking about transhumanists having prophets. These key, these key thinkers in in their in their in their movement that they look up to, they're talking about immortality. The way religion talks about immortality, they're talking about creating paradise. They're talking about creating a world where there's no harm, and that for us is the afterlife. That comes in the afterlife, and our our religion is very clear on that. I think what transhumanists tend to do is they 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 uh, uh, what's the word borrow they or they 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 take these terms from religion and then dress them up in, 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 I guess, in scientific language. Um, what the reasons for that might be, I think we could talk about archetypes or we could talk about our inbuilt, um, our inbuilt tendency to, to know these things, perhaps as part of our fitra, perhaps as part of our primordial mm -hmm. knowledge and transhumanists might be hijacking that um, or, you know, redirecting it towards something else. Um, but this idea then that they're doing it all divorced from a creator. So I think I'm sure you're familiar of the idea of Prometheus stealing the stealing the fire from the gods and bringing it down for human beings and this kind of these kind of ideas are really steeped in rebellion against uh, God uh, and I think it's important to kind of keep that in mind the, the idea of Jack Parsons as well again I know that through listening to Sheikh Hamza Yusuf's lectures <laughs> and again that that's fascinating and I think it's it's critical that we're aware of who the where these ideas were come from, coming from and what the ideology was of the people who, who who were who were creating them or or who the authors were and i think if we could then go back to the, again to, going back to julian huxley looking at some of his ideas looking at kind of the the the, the idea that there's social darwinism and that some peoples are um you know less uh, developed or less evolved than others i don't think that's something that finds a place within islamic thinking i think as we know in Islam, that no race is better than another race. It's all about taqwa and it's all about the conduct. And that's why I think Islam offers a more positive and a healthier 
view of human human nature and that's why we need to lean i guess on islam when it comes to something like this rather than looking at somebody like the work of of, of julian huxley um you yeah. know and it's interesting it's interesting because you know now that i'm thinking about it transhumanism you know it meets the definition of a religion transhumanism has its own narrative story you know that we be darwinian evolution is the foundation we began from these chemicals you know where these chemicals came from how they turn into biology we don't know but we started with these chemicals we turned into apes we've transformed into humans and now we're just evolving to our next stage right that's their narrative story you mentioned their prophets they have their own prophets as well like you know we mentioned during the history the ones and they've written their kitabs that have been revealed that have been inspired from the devil <laughs> that is some may argue um and so and within that they have their own belief of god which is that and i'm not speaking on behalf of all of them but that they they have become god or that the goal is to become god um so these this, it's pretty interesting thinking of transhumanism um again i think we shouldn't throw the baby the baby out with the bathwater. um actually right now as you're speaking there's a conference going on um i believe it's somewhere in the united states i believe it's on islamic bioethics um, and so you have people like um, Dr. Austin Padella, who's there, and they're currently they're discussing AI and Islam. Um, and I'm sure they're they're touching upon this topic as well. So our thinkers are going out; they're having these discussions. Um, but it's something that we're really going to have to grapple with. Um, and uh, you know, you know, I, this really takes us to, you know, I think for me, this is now the the the, the point where uh, I, I think I'm most interested in is this topic of changing the creation of Allah. So um, I think, I, I think out, of, out of all the ayats in the Quran that I was looking at, trying to understand this movement, the one that uh, I felt most resonated was Surat Rum, the chapter of the Romans, which is the 30th, ch 30th chapter in the 30th verse, where Allah says, uh, that stay strong in your uh, stay righteous, stay strong in your religion, right? And hold on to the fitrah, the natural disposition with, that God has given to you. Don't change the creation of God. That is the straight path, and most people do not know. So, when we talk about not changing the creation of God, we're really opening up the door to a lot of questions because does that mean things like braces are permissible? Does that mean things like plastic surgery um, are permissible? Um, and in the realm of transhumanism, if a person has lost their hand, this is something I, I actually want to hear your thought on, is if a person loses their hand in a car accident, right? Is it permissible for them now to have a robotic hand? <laughs> yeah, that's a very worthwhile line of thinking. And I think it's 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 going to need a lot of, you know, delicate thought. My, my, my gut reaction would be that to lose a hand and then to replace it is very justifiable. And there's a lot, I think that there's a lot of different angles that we can justify that from within the Deen. I think the transhumanist idea would be then to take an, a healthy hand and yeah. give it more senses or give it increased sensitivity or, or, or this kind of thing. And that's maybe where it becomes more problematic. Um, I would say though, that, uh, in terms of changing the creation and holding on the fitrah, 
I just feel like there's a natural, there's, I don't want to say it's, it's all about the struggle or it's all about um, Islam, it's about struggle. Because there's a lot of, I guess, sources or there's a lot of different reference points within our religion where we make things easier for ourselves and we're, we're given allowances to make things easier. But again, I, I think it just comes back to this idea of, you know, the medical field, which Muslims had a huge role in playing. You know, you know they, they played a huge role in the development of the medical field. We all know about that. We know all about the, the golden age and the thinkers that emerged from that and the textbooks that emerged from that and how that was very in parallel with Islamic ideas of protecting the self and preserving the self and the benefit of that. But the idea of then changing changing the nature of humans or changing the creation of Allah, it becomes a bit it becomes a bit more difficult. Now, the idea of like braces or, you know, replacing a hand, there's an inter interesting idea. I go back to Jürgen Habermas. He makes a case for the difference between something being grown and something being made. And he believes mm. that growing something is very different. And with growing, we see a process that takes time and a gradedness to how things move forward it's I want to say natural, whereas making something is 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 very different, and I think that that can serve us usefully um, in terms of navigating this. You know what what the Islamic idea or the Islamic way of dealing this dealing with this might be. That can, when can, something... you, uh, can you give an example between the difference between growth and making? Yeah. So, for example, he I, I can't remember the specific examples he makes, but for example, right? Say I want to increase my strength, my muscle strength. I think this is actually something he does mention specifically, but uh, you know, I would double check that. I would s seriously recommend his book if you want to understand this from a a, sec a secular critique. Well, what's the name of the book? It's called the future. I think it's believe it's called the future of human nature. Jurgen Habermas. I think it's two thousand and three. Okay. I don't want to get. I'm, I might be wrong on the year, but Jurgen Habermas, the future of human nature. Okay. Um, he talks. For example, I want to increase my strength, so I start to go to the gym. I start to eat better. I start to sleep better for recovery, et cetera, et cetera. That's a process where something is growing. And okay. I, th I think we can see the benefit or the, the, the uh, growth. Forget about the, 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 the muscle growth, the growth in terms of what I'm doing as a human being in terms of reaching a goal. Whereas making something would be going to the surgeon and him opening me up and in, you know, implanting a stronger muscle immediately there. And I think that's, I think that's a fair representation of, of that argument. And I, I, I felt, you know, a, a, an, an intuitive comfort with that idea and seeing Islam in the idea of growing things in terms of the process and in terms of jihad and nafs. Like, again, if we want to look at like the likes of Al-Ghazali and when he talks about improving the character and targeting devices, mm -hmm. it's very much looking at a process of, of fighting, of, of an internal struggle and, in, and, and a journey. He never talks about, you know, of course, he, he, he talks about dua and the importance of Allah and, and, and openings, but it's never he never considers, you know, material sciences as the as the the, the, the way to, to, to benefit or the way to eradicate these things the way a, a transhumanist would. So I think that that's when we're talking about whether it's something physical or something psychological, the process of growing, of changing and mm -hmm. this, the, the time that it takes and the effort that it takes. And I think what transhumanists are saying is, is something that's quite radically different to that um, in a lot of different ways. And, you know, I think I, I think any time, you know, especially in recent history, in the last 200 years, anytime someone advocates for the creation of this utopia, 
you always find these dangerous ideas. And I think if anybody's interested, Dostoevsky in his notes from underground, he makes a very compelling argument against this idea of the utopia and how anytime anybody in history has tried to create a utopia, it's ultimately, especially in recent history, it's led to the death of millions and millions of people. Um, and so if transhumanists, you know, ultimately, if their goal is to establish this utopia through using technologies like these, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if another massacre of something of, of that sort happens. And I'm always, yeah. me personally, I'm always wary anytime people preach these utopian ideals and believe that, you know, this is the solution to the problem. Um, but, you know, I wanted to mention an interesting point to you. I wanted to hear your thoughts on this. But, you know, new technology always arises. Um, uh, Ibn Khal, it was either Ibn, it was, I think it was Ibn Khaldun or it was Arnold Toynbee two great uh, sociologists and historians um, who said that, uh, who said uh, it was Toynbee, I forgot the term, but he said that um, w when, two when two people are at war with one another and one defeats the other, what the, loser t t what the loser tends to do is he tends to discard his weapon and take his enemies because he feels his, his enemies is better. I think he calls this Herodianism, I believe. Um, and so when I look at many of these new technologies, right, you, if you look at the printing press, when the printing press was first created by the West, many of the Muslims, especially the scholars, were very hesitant to adopt it. And some argued that the hesitancy ultimately led to a decline, that ultimately led Europe to surpass the Muslims. So when, when you see these new technologies out there, um, should Muslims, you know, if Muslims don't adopt them, will they also go back? couple hundred years or is this something that they would need to adopt at the beginning um we have something like with the case of pakistan who saw the the, the the advent of the nuclear bomb and decided that we need this is something we need to create because we don't want to move behind so i'm wondering with transhumanism as well is it also the same case where if we don't adopt a technology like this and we don't try to peer, you know islamicize it then we'll move back hundreds of years as well I think there's a, a strong case to be made there. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the idea of Pakistan and nuclear weapons. I remember thinking recently with Turkey and their drone technology that's now quite famous. They, they used it in Syria um, against the Syrian government and the Russian army there to, 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 to good effect. And I think they're now selling a lot of their drone technology. It reminded me, I think they were the Ottoman Empire was initially reluctant to take on board uh, the new firepowers of the day and how maybe Turkey has learned a lesson there in terms of, you know, using the technology of the day. But I think when it comes, this, I'm, I'm torn. Part of me thinks that the, the, the you know, the victory is, is purely from Allah completely, irregardless of material circumstances. And if that's the case, then it's all about, you know, making sure that we're committing and practicing the deen in the best way possible. And avoiding anything that might be doubtful so part of me then would think no if transhumanism if, if developing transhumanist soldiers or some kind of technology like that that's going to be in some way immoral i would say that you know that's not a way to go mm -hmm. but then i'm not sure that i don't know if our religion is as dogmatic as that and the material you know the material causes and effects are real as well and we need to factor those in and in that line i would say as long as we do our best to make sure that it stays completely halal without you know straying into anything that's 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 against our religion and i think there is we we have i guess we've mentioned a few different ways that 
transhumanism can be. We've talked, I guess we've talked a lot about the macro ideas and some of the underlying philosophy of it or the underlying ideas and the problem of those. I guess applying the technology, there are, I'm sure there will be ways of applying the technology that, mm -hmm. uh, that'll be useful. But when it comes to like changing the human creation so that we have guilds, for example, so we have soldiers who can swim, I think I would be a little bit more wary of that. But it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting one to ponder. Um, and I think it's definitely it's definitely worth dividing, or I don't want to say compartmentalizing, but certainly considering the transhumanism is a vast movement with vast applications, and I'm sure, inshallah, our, our scholars will sift out what is useful for us and what we need to avoid. Yeah, and you know, uh, to me, bro, it's like you know, you grow up watching movies like the Terminator and you don't really think that Terminators will be created in your own lifetime. Um, but I think like, I think honestly, just seeing how fast technology is progressing. I mean, look, when, when I was in, um, when I was like in grade eight, you know, like 10 years ago, maybe 12, 13 years ago, um, I never had an iPod. I never had a device. It wasn't the norm. And now I'm looking at, you know, just, five, six, seven-year-olds who have their own devices. And it's really, and how far these technologies have progressed. Um, it's very clear to see technologies moving at a rapid, rapid pace. And the discussion we're having, I, you know, I, I hope people don't think this is going to happen in like 100, 200 years. Like we're on the doors of this. Like we're getting very, very close. They're ready to, you know, they're ready. Like you said, once the laws change, when they start advocating, for things like, I mean, I just read Saudi Arabia the other day. Saudi Arabia granted citizenship to Sophia. <laughs> sorry, sorry, <laughs> like Sophia who? You cut off a little bit there. Who? Who did they grant citizenship uh, Saudi, to? Saudi Arabia gives citizenship to the robot Sophia. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing so that. So they were and, saying, and... like, they don't give it to their labor workers and they treat their woman, you know, they say they treat their woman some way, but they're giving citizenship to Sophia. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. That's crazy, um, subhanAllah. SubhanAllah. You know, a more chilling example is in China, there was a, a rogue scientist who started genetically intervening with babies. And that that made the news. And I think he was arrested. I don't know what exactly has happened to him, but it's worth checking out that case. It was around two years ago. I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but it's certainly it was the, it was just showing you how once the technology is there, it's going to leak out even before it becomes illegal. But he was essentially looking at targeting a certain gene and he practiced and so while we can talk about him as one rogue scientist it turned out that he had, he communicated with a few dozen as far as i remember researchers in his field who while some of them might have objected no one you know got involved and they let him do do his thing so yeah like you're saying this is we're not talking about 200 years 100 years this we're i think we're on the doorstep of a lot of this and as we've seen technology tends to accelerate so we're really going to probably see see things in our in our lifetimes um if allah grants us a a fuller or a, a complete life inshallah I mean, I mean and you know just you know i know that there's people who are thinking this in their mind right now so i just wanted to ask you is um what is the relationship between this and something like a dajjal um mm. you see all of these prophecies about the end of times and stuff like that so i think some get too focused to it to a point where they don't even you know where they become like amish they just want to you know i met a guy here uh, uh um i'm i went to an anti-co uh, an anti-covid anti-vaccine protest 
um, I was already there and I just saw them. So I was just speaking to some of them. And some of them were so wary of all this technology, all of these you know, government mandates. And he said, you know, I live in like the forest. I don't have a telephone at my house. The only Wi-Fi is connected to my laptop. He said, just because I know what's going to happen. Right. Mm. So I think some people really take it to an extreme. But like, you know, these things exist. And there's a, there's a reason why there's a number of hadith related to the subject. So just for, I know my followers who have that, uh, who have that <laughs> inclination. Um, what are your just general thoughts on the relationship between this and something like a Dajjal or, or, or something like this? You know, just one quick thought that will back, you know, kind of support my point on this. When the Muslims, so the Muslims, I guess they, for a while, they had the Iberian Peninsula. And it was the same year that the Muslims were, fine, were, 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 were kicked out of Granada. 1592, 1592, I believe. 14, I 1492. 1492. That was the same year Columbus yeah. left, right? And yeah. on the back of Columbus's discovery of the Americas, I think two of the most devastating um, phenomenon occurred. Number one was the transatlantic slave trade. And number two was the proliferation of tobacco. And while, you know, alhamdulillah, the transatlantic slave trade is no more, the legacy of tobacco is still there. And it's affecting you know, millions of people every year, and it's affecting the genetics of people as well. So it's something that's being carried forward to other gen generations. And I think this is what can happen when, I don't want to say Muslims have to be at the table when these things are happening, but somebody with a strong moral monotheistic uh, compass. So if we consider that a lot of this, you know, I think the, the, sur the survey that I referenced in the, in the article, 75% of transhumanists are atheists. So they don't have the same, I'm not, of course, atheists do, a lot of atheists have very good moral compasses, but I think it can be, it's, it's, it's quite tricky once you remove monotheistic ethics in terms of what opens up. So once that's, once you're operating on a level that's devoid of that, I think, you know, dangerous things can happen. And I use the, I, I guess I use the example from 500 years ago, 600 years ago, um, just to highlight, my concern is that a lot of these developments are coming from outside of um, not, I don't want to say the Muslim world, but Muslims aren't there offering our ethical input on them. And I would be concerned then that things that happen outside of that are, are not going to be in, in humanity's best interests. Relating it more specifically to the Dajjal, um, you know, the, the theory that we're in the Dajjalic age. Um, and I know, I guess one of the things that I really appreciate about Sheikh Hamza Yusuf's um, output um, is that he seems to be somebody who's so on top of the, the, the themes and the, the, the progressions of, of the age that we're living in. And I think it's, it's, it's quite, it's, it's almost, you know, disconcertingly simple to see how something like transhumanism can get out of hand and where it might lead um, and the relationship between that and and something like the Dajjal, whether it's the Dajjalic age or the individual. Um, just as a quick segue, uh, not a segue, but just a point that I did remember, you mentioned the, the anti-COVID protesters. And I guess earlier you were talking about, what was it you mentioned? The conflict, uh, you mentioned arms, I guess. So one of the, one of the uh, as well, one of the secular arguments against transhumanism is that there's people who are genuine, philosophers who are generally uh, genuinely afraid that once we have transhumanists, there'll be a civil war between transhumanists and non-transhumanists. 
And while yeah. that, I, I initially, I initially thought that was a little bit far fetched. But when we look at the discourse around COVID, vaxxers and non-vaxxers on both sides, just how polarized it can get, and there's a division of rights, and certain people have their rights withheld from them, you can see how that can happen. And I guess more broadly, if we look at transhumanism as a fruit of the Enlightenment, and I guess one of the other fruits of the Enlightenment was consequentialist ethics, where we're putting a value on human lives, it's very easy to see, not very easy, I don't want to simplify it, but you can chart a path where transhumanists believe that their life is worth more especially in the context of discourses about uh, overpopulation and discourses about, uh, you know, human, there's not enough resources on the earth for to support human beings. You can very much see how it, all of that mixed with consequentialism, hard consequentialist ethics, valuation of human life um, can lead to some kind of conflict. And I guess just one more point about how, sorry, I'm going on a little bit, but I just remembered another point I wanted to make. We could think of that and think that that's quite far-fetched. I think one of the manifestations of hard consequentialist ethics towards human life is already happening now where you're seeing um, babies with down syndrome being um, aborted and that's something i i think i i seen a stat that iceland has eradicated down syndrome which is essentially they have screening they have screening processes now where down syndrome babies aren't being carried to term and that again is something that's quite chilling that we're putting a value, we're, we're putting a value at, we'll say at the, the extreme ends of human life. And the slippery slope argument then is, you know, kind of falls or, or comes quite, quite naturally or quite um, commonsensically after that. So just, just some of the ideas that, these are just some ideas that would, you know, urge Muslims to be cautious about a lot of these things and, and quite worried about what they, where they might lead. But anyway, that's a, quite a few ideas I threw together there at the end. I apologize. <laughs> No, no, they're all fine. They're all, they're all, they're all brilliant points, especially this last point about Iceland. Um, I, I think, again, in a situation like this, this is where gene therapy can be beneficial. Um, things like nanotechnology. Um, but it's very hard, you know, disheartening to hear something like that, that, you know, they're proclaiming what an accomplishment it is, but at, the, at what cost, right? The cost yeah. of human life. Um, and, you know, tying back to your other point about, you know, atheism and morality, you know, I think there's no denying that people without God can be moral, moral people, right? I think, you know, I think many of them have, you know, amazing character, um, you know, they're, 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 they, have, they have humility. But I think the problem Absolutely. with atheism, the problem with atheism and morality is what are your views now on things like gender, on things like sexuality? like artificial intelligence things like transhumanism where now you're allowing many of these things out there you're, you're you know you're, you're staying silent or you're staying silent or either you're you're, uh, you're in favor of things like transhumanism you're in favor of this belief that we can evolve to a next state um but on a closing note and i'll, I'll give you the last word just just because i you know we do have a fascination with the gel um <laughs> The, the Jack Parsons story, I think, is really, I think, is really uh, pertinent to this discussion because Jack Parsons, for those who haven't seen the podcast, uh, was somebody who was heavily involved in this age, um, and he created many of these technologies that allowed us to penetrate the stratosphere. And I just want to mention his dream one more time because it's so cryptic, where you know he was transported to this other realm, and he was reading a lot of these magic books, um, and I forgot with who there was this other. Uh, I mentioned it in the podcast, this other prominent 
uh, scientists where they would come together and they would read these books on magic, just as Francis Bacon did as well. And he had this dream where he was transported to this other realm. And he said that he was performing his own pilgrimage. He, he called it the Black Pilgrimage, which very interesting because we call ours just the normal pilgrimage. So it's like, because I mentioned in the podcast, because everything that's satanic is reversed. They always want to do things that are opposite to us. And when he's transported to this world, he says he came across this entity who called himself Valerian Armelius Ad-Dajjal, the Antichrist, who told him that you are going to help me in my pursuit. And Jack Parsons had, a, I think, from an explosion. He was using magic on one, on one of his uh, inventions and exploded on him, and that's how he died. Um, but even showing that there is a relationship between these two um, and how today with transhumanism, um, with artificial intelligence, with things like even the media, because there's mass manipulation occurring there, with music as well, I think magic is still thriving in today's age. It's just being hidden under the banner of science, of, uh, of music, of all of these other mediums. Not to say that science is magic, but that certain forms can be. And so ultimately when we're dealing, and you know what's profound is if you look in the Quran um, and you look at the story of Suleiman alayhi salam, right? And the story of magic. It's it's a very it's a it's a very interesting. Uh, I can't remember the exact verse on my head in terms of the number, but I think it's something everybody should listen to. And there's a video, um, one met one me, uh, many prophets one message on this topic where he explains the history of magic, and the ayat is interesting because it says those who engage in magic. I'm paraphrasing. Those who engage in magic are basically selling their souls. And so now you get, now, you know, we've kind of opened the Pandora's box. Now you have the Illuminati, you have all of these different topics, which I don't think we want to get, get into, but just showing that we need to be very careful with every science that we bring in, right? One of my favorite hadiths is the Prophet wasallam said, Al-hikmatu dhalatul mu'min fahaythu wajadaha fahuwa haqqu biha. That wisdom is the lost property of the believer. Wherever he finds it, he is most deserving of it. So, if there's any science out which we think can bring great benefit to our community, whether it was some of the early Greek works, whether it was astronomy from Egypt or from India, you know, we take them in, but you have to take them in with a grain of salt. You need to Islamicize it and see, is this appropriate to our tradition? And if we feel that it comes at the cost of, you know, like transhumanism, we can take it, we can improve ourselves militarily, we can remove many of these problems, but it comes at the cost of us being human, of us going against the commands of God, then it's something like you said, we should abstain from, and then God will still give us victory. Inshallah. Yeah, I guess um, one of the key ideas there is the, you know, I, one thing that I do think of just on the back of what you said is not to have a inferiority complex just because the science is coming from outside and we're so we're so far behind in so many different levels i guess as a community and so we're usually importing science we're importing developments and we kind of i think we i don't know about you uh, bro but i feel like maybe the generation before the, the the couple of generations before there was an inferiority complex there where they wouldn't they wouldn't have questioned where this is coming from or who it was coming from or considering what the ideology of jack parsons might be these are kind of things that I think we really need to get involved in and we need to be self-assured um, and to know where our reference point is. 
not it's it's not a material it's you know we're not thinking number one of the material benefit we're thinking number one is of whether or not this aligns with our ethical religious outlook um mm -hmm. and i think that's something inshallah that we'll be able to do and um, inshallah our, our the next generation after us will be able to do even better you know in in, in an even more effective way um Wallahu a'lam wa insha'Allah may Allah guide us, you know, jami'an. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much for having me, bro. It's, it's, a, it's been a useful discussion, insha'Allah, one of, one of many to come as well. Thank you as well for joining us, bro. And on a closing note, um, you know, YouTube, looks like YouTube is here to stay. So um, it'll be interesting years from now to come back to this podcast and see if we were dead on correct, if we were dead <laughs> on wrong. <laughs> And see how our, our, see how our ideas change as well, inshallah. You know, I that, I wrote that yeah. article four years ago, and I there's things that I changed on now. So I wonder where we're going to be eight years from now. Yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll be watching this in twenty years, and we'll both be robots. Allahu <laughs> 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 Alam. Only Allah knows. But yeah, Jazakallah Khair for this conversation, bro. Um, inshallah, we hope everybody enjoyed it. Please stay tuned for further podcasts and please share it with friends and families and get the word out um, so that hopefully, inshallah, one day when the beast comes to us and he offers us the chip, it's something we can decline because our Christian friend told us. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.